Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Music in My Life with me, Laura Wright. It's the show where we talk about the music we love so much, our relationship with that music and the role it plays in our life. What is it about music that taps into our emotions and why does it make us feel a certain way? This one isn't as morbid as it sounds, I promise. But today I'm going to talk about a group of musicians and artists who became part of what's known as the 27 Club. This club, if you like, is full of talented people who sadly died at the young age of 27. Now, I'm not going to get into the circumstances of their deaths or the controversy that surrounds some of their situations preceding their deaths. Instead, I want to talk about why they became part of this group. What made them different? What made them iconic? What was their music about? And why they lived such fast lives that ultimately ended too soon. Let's jump in. Now, I've chosen three iconic musicians, and we're going to start with the legendary Jimi Hendrix. And just to note for you guys, of course, there are other artists and musicians that are part of this club. Um, I hate calling it a club because it feels like it's something that you want to be part of. And in a sense, of course, you don't want to be part of that club, but we are remembering these people because they were so talented. So, of course, there are other musicians involved, uh, Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison. You can obviously do your own research and have a look at who else has uh, made this iconic list. But we're going to start with the legendary Jimi Hendrix. So Jimi Hendrix was born 1942 and he died in 1970. And he is remembered as one of the greatest electric guitarists in history. He was an American musician, a singer and a songwriter. And his commercial and mainstream career spanned only four years. I was so shocked when I learned that. And it's perhaps one of the shortest careers and the longest and biggest legacies that I can think of of a musician. He is, as I say, widely regarded as one of the most influential electric guitarists in the history of popular music. That is insane to have that behind you as a name. He was born in Seattle and he started playing guitar at the age of 15, which I actually feel is quite old to be picking up an instrument to then become as iconic as he was, but he clearly was just uber talented. He actually joined the army in 1959 and he became a paratrooper, but he was honorably discharged in 1961. So just two years later, after an injury that exempted him from duty in Vietnam. And interestingly, you will recognize one of the pieces of music that we'll hear from a very famous movie, the one and only Forrest Gump. And actually during this part of the movie, they are in Vietnam uh, fighting and at war. 
Um, in the early 1960s, Hendrix worked as a kind of like a session guitarist, we'd call it now. He backed other musicians, including casual musicians like B.B. King, Ike and Tina Turner, Sam Cooke, Little Richard. So actually some really incredible musicians. And in 1964, he moved to New York and he started playing in essentially coffee houses, I presume just to get by and pay the bills. Now, this is where the magic happened, a meeting of minds. This is where bassist Brian Chandler of the British group called The Animals actually heard him playing. And he arranged to meet Jimi Hendrix and he brought him to London in 1966. And this is where they created the Jimi Hendrix experience. That was with bassist Noel Redding and drummer Mitch Mitchell. It's a pretty cool name, Mitch Mitchell. <laughs> the band's first single, Hey Joe, hit number six on the British pop charts and the band basically became an instant sensation. Everyone was talking about them. This was really his moment in music that launched him onto the scene and launched his music career. So I feel like we can't talk about Jimi Hendrix without having a listen to this track. So let's have a listen to Hey Joe by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. <laughs> Love it. So let's talk about now what was so unique and different about Jimi Hendrix. We heard him singing there, but this is really about his guitar playing and actually the fact that he pioneered so many different sounds using the electric guitar. Let's think about the fact that that track we just heard was released in 1966. He died in 1970. So we have this really, really brief but intense period of time where he was all that everyone was talking about and we still talk about him now. As I say, he revolutionized rock and roll as both an artist and a producer during this super short four-year career. He was inspired by American rock and roll, the, uh, the electric kind of blues feel as well. And he pioneered the use of these really interesting sounds, which I'm going to attempt to try and explain to you. And we're going to have a listen to some of those effects now that's in his music. When we hear a really loud guitarist, we might hear the feedback from an amplifier, which... If I say, oh, there's loads of feedback, it's not a very nice sound to listen to. So it's always been seen as pretty undesirable in the music industry. It wasn't something that people would pay to hear at a gig. However, Jimi Hendrix made it sound cool. He made it sound amazing. And he used other things like fuzz distortion, Octavia as well, which is something to do with octaves that we'll talk about in a moment, and something called a univibe as well. So there's all these different phasing effects that he used in recordings and live. Um, someone called Holly George Warren from Rolling Stones wrote this about him. Hendrix pioneered the use of the instrument as an electronic sound source. Players before him had experimented with feedback and distortion, but Hendrix turned those effects and others into a controlled, fluid vocabulary every bit as personal as the blues with which he began. So you can see how much he was revered as a musician. Let's talk a little bit more about these uni unique sounds that I'm talking about. So the wah-wah effect we're going to hear first. Now, 
if you want to have a go at making these sounds at home, I would highly recommend it. You know, we're all still in this weird, crazy world that we're living in. Why not make yourself sound even crazier and uh, make some guitar sounds? We all know the old air guitar kind of dance and vibe, but let's go for this wah-wah, which is a little bit how it sounds. That kind of wah-wah, <laughs> that's my attempt. Um, but we're going to hear that in one of his tracks now, which is called Voodoo Child. And it's from his album Electric Ladyland, released in 1968. And this is an example of that wah-wah effect. Love it. So you could hear that. It was quite quiet at the start, but actually grew into the start of the track there. And it's just that sort of strange. The only way you can describe it is by saying wah-wah. That's the only way I feel like you can. Um, let's talk about the next kind of effect that he pioneered the use of. So the, this was this octaves, um, this idea of playing the guitar in octaves. And in the guitar solo that we're going to hear now in Purple Haze, he makes so much use of this. And it's quite a unique sound. And actually, I can't really think of any other guitarist or band that used this regularly in their music. It was obviously something that was not only really interesting and new, but technically really difficult to do. So we're going to have a listen to that guitar solo now. So this is from Purple Haze. There we go. I'm sure that you could hear that. It was a little bit of a different sounding uh, guitar solo there at the start. And so, as I said, octaves, which is where we have the same note, um, but played in a lower register and a higher register. So it gives this very... Um, this anthemic sound, if you like, but it's not often used on the guitar uh, and actually on other string instruments as well. As I say, it's technically very difficult to achieve. Someone like myself being a singer, that's um, almost impossible to do with your voice. There are ways that you can split your voice, which we're going to talk about with another artist in a little bit. But in terms of uh, as a singer, that's not really possible. Uh, so it's only on the uh, instruments that I've talked about that that is actually something that you can do. So again, just very, very talented as a musician, as a soloist. And like I say, at this time of, of music, it was all about the live, you know, it was about being there. It was about that unique performance that you saw. And there was nowhere to hide on stage. Not like now where perhaps you could have a, an orchestra or a full backing track, you know, coming from the speakers. This was really about the musicians on stage, often of which there weren't very many. Let's talk about one more sound that he pioneered the use of. So this is called the uni vibe. Now, this is still sold now and it's um, manufactured by Dunlop and it's the there are several uni vibes but there's also the Jimi Hendrix signature uni vibe and it's a foot pedal operated phaser or it's called a phase shifter so it creates like a um, 
a vibrato simulation for, and it can be actually for electric uh, organ as well as the guitar. Vibrato is the wobble that the voice makes or an instrument makes by moving your finger at a quicker rate on the string. Um, for example, ah, that's a type of vibrato that I can manufacture with my voice. So this was something that created that sound with a foot pedal. Now you'll see guitar, guitarists on stage in gigs, you'll see them often have quite a lot of foot pedals on the floor. And you often probably wonder like, what are they doing when they keep clicking those things on and off? And there are all these different effects. So we're going to hear a little bit of uh, Jimi Hendrix machine gun. And this is where he uses this univibe. Now, essentially in this song as well, it was um, probably one of the first times that Jimi Hendrix wrote a very uh, openly political song. And it was actually about the Vietnam War. And this is a song that I mentioned earlier that you would recognize. And in the point of the song that we're going to have a listen to, he uses this univibe to create this da-da-da-da-da. And what that does is, is creates, um, along with the drums playing with him on the guitar, it creates the sound of what a machine gun would sound like. So he's really being quite evocative with the music here. He's using the guitar to create and simulate the sound of a machine gun, which is obviously the title of the track, but also it's very much a satire on the war and his political views on what was happening at that time. So let's have a listen to uh, Jimi Hendrix, Machine Gun. Amazing. Um, okay, we're going to move on to our next artist now. This is the one and only Janis Joplin. Now, I chose Janis Joplin because I personally didn't know too much about her. I was really interested to learn more. And I was actually really shocked that yet again, this is another artist who not only died at the age of 27, but also had a really, really short career. She actually I mean, she's basically known as the first lady of rock and roll. She's probably the greatest female rock singer of all time. Um, and she actually was in, died only three weeks after the death of Jimi Hendrix. So they were really, really close in terms of their lifespan, their career span, but their music was worlds apart. So they were totally different. However, we're still in this era of where live music wins over everything else. Yes, they recorded, but a lot of their albums, these kind of artists were of live live recording. So if you were at a, concert, at a concert, they would record that and release that at a later date. Um, so they're very, very similar in that sense. Now let's talk about her life leading up to where her career started. She was born in Texas and in her early years, she had a hard time fitting in, it seems. But like all of us, found her own group of friends in life and discovered her love for the blues. And she listened to artists like Bessie Smith, Lead Belly, like all of these very old school, really true to their craft and their art, blues artists. She started to sing blues and also folk music, but just with her friends at high school. And as I say, her experience there, it seemed like it wasn't one of, um, it wasn't one of absolute happiness, let's say. And I think we, we can all relate to that, you know, that time at school where you remember that one thing that someone said to you and it, 
it always sticks in your mind. And even though you know you you don't feel that way about yourself, those things can impact on you. And, and that's something that definitely had an effect on Janice Joplin, especially if you think about how incredibly strong and powerful she was on stage. It just goes to show that a lot of these artists wore their heart on their sleeves. And sometimes that ended in terrible, terrible circumstances. Um, so as I say, she uh, started to sing blues and folk music. She went on to go to university in Texas, but she never finished her degree there or her studies. So it's quite clear that she had this rebellious nature. And in the early 60s, she started to record her own music. Now, her first song was called What Good Can Drinking Do? The irony of that title of the song, as we all probably or many of you might know that her chosen drink was Southern Comfort and she would drink it like it was water on stage and have it with her all the time. But her first song was called What Good Can Drinking Do? In 1964, she uh, recorded a number of blues standards, some of which actually were released later after her death. But it wasn't really again until the late 1960s, like Jimi Hendrix, that Janis Joplin became known for her talent. She had this short but incredibly sharp rise to fame. And although it wasn't as, uh, let's let's remember, it probably wasn't as glamorous as we all think as well. You know, there's promoters and managers um, coming with them on tours, but those tours were relentless. They were on stage and then they were traveling to the next gig. And I think actually we sometimes maybe misunderstood misunderstand what that was like in reality and and how intense that would be on the artist and how much pressure they faced to go on stage and to perform their absolute best every single time we all have days where we don't feel great we don't want to get out of bed we don't want to go to work and yet these people were not only doing that but doing it in front of hundreds and thousands of people she was part of a band called Big Brother and as a solo artist performed at the historic concert Woodstock in 1969. And she had a long standing addiction, sadly. As I say, I'm not going to talk about these things too much, but she she is known to have had a long standing addiction with heroin and other drugs, as well as alcohol. Southern Comfort, as I mentioned, was her favorite drink of choice. But let's move on. Let's talk about why she was so unique. What was it that drew people to her and held audiences mesmerized? There is a real sadness, I feel, in blues as a genre, but there's also a rawness with which she approaches it and how she sings it. She also sang rock, she sang soul, as well as blues. And I actually think that's really interesting because it's not often we find artists nowadays that can cross those genres. And in fact, that's the next artist that I'll talk about in a little while did exactly that and did it very, very well. Let's talk a little bit about her voice. So she had technically a mezzo-soprano voice. It's the same as myself, but obviously we sound completely different. But if we're saying technically speaking, she had that kind of range. So her voice was actually a bit higher than perhaps we think. But we hear this raspy quality that she uses. I'm pointing to my throat because it feels like it might hurt sometimes when we hear her sing, but it somehow gets across this sense of emotion that I just think she does like no other artist. And you can really hear that raspy quality, but also real richness in her voice, which she uses at the start of her songs. So she starts from a place of, of purity and then moves into this, releases this rock and roll soul that you just, it's undeniably, as I say, mesmerizing to watch and to listen to. Let's have a little listen to one of the most iconic pieces of music by Janis Joplin. Now, it wasn't written by her, but it's her version of Peace of My Heart. As I say, this is by Big Brother and The Holding Company. You'll know this song 
like that as soon as you hear it. And I really hope you enjoy listening to it. So let's have a listen to Peace of My Heart now. good I don't want it to stop so as I say let's remember that we are in the 1960s here so recording any music like this was so simple in comparison to today's standards and live music as I say is was so so popular but in order to be successful you had to have epic stage presence there was nowhere to hide and she had this in abundance and as I say part being part of this rock and roll culture it was a time in the 60s where people were very free very willing to experiment and drugs were sadly part of that so you can see how the tragedy in her life unfolded and of course her career is so much about her voice but she also was a massive part of this rebellious social movement of the late 60s she wore if you watch her videos she wore baggy clothing she wore um loose loose hair like her hair was really wild and she sometimes had like feather feather boas in her hair and always experimenting and actually a lot of people will tell you that she did a lot for other women as well in that sense so it wasn't just about her voice in terms of singing it was about the words that she spoke to if you watch some of her interviews she's brutally honest and open and I think that's something that we don't get to see very often now either and also interestingly if you watch one of her interviews as well, they're 10, 15 minutes long. You think now the kind of space that people have to speak on television shows, it's 30 seconds to a minute. So these artists had a real platform actually to um, to say what they wanted to say and to have an opinion on what was going on in the world at that time. Now, as I say, we just heard peace of my heart. Now let's listen to something completely different. So this this is a piece of music that actually is from an opera originally. It's written by Gershwin, George Gershwin, and it's from his famous opera, Porgy and Bess. It was written in 1934, so quite some time before Janis Joplin burst onto the scenes. But when she sings it, I, I, can't even, I can't even describe it. It's like you have to listen to this piece of music. It's a lesson for me in how to sing something your own way. I really sat back when I listened to this and thought, I have never heard an interpretation of this song in, done in this way. It is so unique. And actually I have to say as well, this piece of music called Summertime is not easy to sing. It has a really big range and it's been done so many times that to put a new spin on it is something very difficult to do. I've heard it sing, uh, I've heard it sung, sorry, in operatic style, in a classical style. Um, a lot of versions are known for their kind of jazzy twists, like Ella Fitzgerald has sung it. Some great artists have performed this piece, but this is by far now my absolute favorite. So let's not listen to me waffle on anymore. Let's talk, uh, let's listen to Janis Joplin sing some of Summertime from Porgy and Bess. <laughs> Summertime, 
So good. And you remember I mentioned a little bit earlier about how um, there was that incredible thing with octaves and Jimi Hendrix kind of playing two notes simultaneously on the guitar. You probably heard a little bit just then of how Janis Joplin seemed to be able to sing more than one note with her voice and almost split the sound. It's quite incredible to listen to. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We're here to tell you about the Loose Lips podcast. We, being me, Georgie Porter. And me, Sharon Carpenter. We're all about honesty and not holding back, especially when it comes to what's in the news. Plus, we answer your questions and we give you advice whenever it's asked for. Even when it's not asked for. We're all about what you're really thinking and what you really want to know. You can expect to hear some of this. I have to say, come on, people, we we're getting a little too sensitive here and also some of this she is plugging her entire career in that one moment that's the lose lips podcast out every tuesday and not forgetting extra lippy on fridays find it wherever you found this podcast we'll see you there oh it's very sad talking about these people because you just can't help but wonder what would they have been doing if their career had been longer but nevertheless, they had such iconic careers and, and they're artists that we all talk about still today. So let's talk about one more. The wonderful, the late, great Amy Winehouse. That's my third and final tragedy that we're going to talk about. She was known for singing soul, rhythm, blues and jazz. And I just, what a loss to the music industry. 
So, of course, she became famous much later than uh, Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix. And she was born into much more of a modern age. So an age where social media was becoming popular. Um, We had much more access, I think, to people's lives at this point as well. And she had, uh, unlike Joplin and Hendrix, she had, I suppose, a little bit more of a steady rise to fame. In terms of her education, she went to the Sylvia Young Theatre School, which was really well known for creating great artists and actors. Um, she was also a member of the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, orchestra, which is not something I realised or really expected. Um, but she was born in 1983 and she sadly died in 2011, again at the age of 27. And I think for, for me, Amy Winehouse is about again, this thread that runs through all of these artists, just being totally unique, but also incredibly honest and open with their music. Their music is a reflection of their own identity. She had this powerful, unique voice and such an amazing sense of style. You'll all remember her with the enormous beehive of hair and just you know, without obviously thinking about those sad last performances that really I, I feel devastated to know that they're actually even, you're you're even able to still see these performances. For me, feels a little bit wrong to see someone fall apart in front of your eyes. Um, it's really sad, but I remember her for those incredible performances on Jules Holland and other programs where she was given the floor and she just, she floored us with her voice and with her performance. Um, as I say, member of the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, but she signed to Simon Fuller's 19 management in 2002. And then she recorded a number of songs before signing a publishing deal with EMI. So as I say, a bit more of a sort of traditional trajectory and rise to fame. Um, she had an amazing relationship with a producer called Salam Remy. And basically that was through her um, through her publishing deal. But he continued to work with her throughout her career and some of the best music that we know her for was produced by him. So they obviously had something there that was really special and unique musically. Her debut album, Frank, was released in 2003. And a lot of those songs were influenced by jazz. Um, and apart from, I think, two covers on the album, the rest were co-written by Winehouse. So again, she suddenly was just incredibly successful right from the word go from the moment that her music came onto the scene. She was um, seen as a a critical success as well in the eyes of those who would sometimes be quite harsh about new artists. And she actually won the Ivor Novello Award for Best Contemporary Song um, from her first album and it was nominated for the Mercury Prize. And actually that's what I want to play first. So this is her um, Ivor Novello awarded song, uh, stronger than me. Let's have a listen. Oh, so good. There's a real kind of laziness with the way that she sings. And I feel like she almost sings in the way that she speaks as well. And again, it's just that pure reflection of that person. And every song that she released was really a a part of her history. You know, it was so personal to her. And, And in a way, as I say, that's what became quite sad towards the end of her career and the end of her life, ultimately. Um, 
she obviously released a follow-up album after her debut album Frank and that was as we all know called Back to Black which was released in 2006 and that really went on to become a massive international success she was nominated for British Album of the Year at the 2007 Brit Awards she received an award for British Female Solo Artist we all know her song Rehab actually then won her that second Ivan Novello Award and let me tell you to get one of those awards is incredibly hard let alone two and at the 50th Grammy Awards in 2008 she won five awards and these weren't just these were sort of known as the most notable awards so best new artist record of the year song of the year as well as best pop vocal album so like the real big awards at the Grammys it's just incredible and as I say again even though it was that traditional way of coming into the music industry it was a pretty sharp and steep rise to fame that Amy Winehouse had I'm going to play you one more song from her first album which is called F Me Pumps released in 2003 now this is a little bit more contemporary but I think it's actually really important to note here that the the videos that go along with these songs are very different to what I would expect. So let's have a listen to F Me Pumps first and then we'll talk about the visual aspect after. Here it comes. Because you all look the same. Everyone knows your name. And that's your whole claim to fame. Never miss a night. Because your dream in life is to be a fool. Oh, so good. <laughs> I'm going to listen to all of her album on my way home today. Um, so what's really interesting is that the video that accompanies this is her sat there with a mic, in fact, just like this. And she sat and she's just sort of talking about different situations of where, you know, her fuck me pumps come into it and her shoes that, you know, we all have those pair of shoes that we wear on a night out with our girlfriends. And she's kind of has these different characters that come into play. And I feel like this was really her in this video. Whereas if we go back to that first song that we heard, um, which was Stronger Than Me, that also won her an Ivan Novello Award, the video for this, I think is just so polished. It's so record company in that sense. It's very much, and of course, many of you might not know what I'm talking about there, but it's the the idea that actually she's got this impeccable makeup on. She looks absolutely stunning and she's wandering through this bar and this guy who's being a jerk that she's meeting with. You all know the video well enough. I don't need to explain it, but it's the sense that it's very produced. Whereas this one for Fuck Me Pumps feels a bit, a bit, more, a bit more of her, a bit more sassy, a bit more honest. And actually for me is so much more of a success successful video. Um, she's worked with obviously Mark Ronson, some incredible producers, but we're going to listen to one of her songs from Back to Black, which was released later in 2007. And again, as I say, you know, it's so sad with these artists because we listen to this music that they created during a time and you can't help but think, what would they have done had they had more time on this earth to show us, you know, what they could really do with music. But we're so lucky to have um, heard her perform and I think also to have been given this music from her as well. To be able to listen to this music now is so special. And my podcast is all about music in your life and, and the memories that they hold. And of course, that, you know, we don't really touch on the fact that when an artist, a musician dies, uh, their music is left behind and that is their legacy. So that's so special, I think. Um, let's have a listen now to Tears Dry on Their Own. This is one of my absolute favourites. And this is from Back to Black. He walks away, the sun goes down, he takes the day. 
so good. Tears dry on their own. Even the title of that track is lyrically, to me, absolute genius. Released in 2007. And before we finish, I want to talk a little bit about her vocal ability. So we've listened to Jimi Hendrix, obviously known for his guitar ability, but also, you know, he was a singer too. We've listened to Janis Joplin, greatest rock singer, female rock singer of all time. Um, And then we've listened to Amy Winehouse and her voice for me just cuts through. But also when she was becoming famous and, and performing on stages, it felt like she... It felt like her voice came from the past and it felt like in a time where, you know, the pop industry was full of um, young artists with a very kind of a a very pop way of singing as we know it now, quite overproduced. She had this traditional way of singing, which meant that she just made up her own rules. And I think maybe that's why her sound was so unique. And I feel like there were no affectations in her voice, just this raw quality of expression and yeah, like all of the musicians that I've talked about today really wore their heart on their sleeve. Um, so I think, you know, for me, what's clear is however sad and tragic the end of these people's lives were or the stress that they endured during that short time when they were touring the world and, and you know, being becoming famous and, and being known worldwide for their talent. You can't talk about them without talking about their musicianship, their music, their talent. And they wrote from the heart. They wrote from real life experience. And actually it has to be said, it's often heartbreak and struggle that that comes, you know, the greatest of things. And, and for musicians, it's it's a real tough one because you need to have that life experience in order to then write about it. But of course, for these people, it's undeniable what they gave to music was so much. It was their calling. It was their passion. And that's just to me so clear to see when we listen to them perform now. Um, so yeah, that's it from the 27 club. Of course, there are many more, sadly, many more artists that are part of that. But, uh, these three for me are, are three clear winners that left a real legacy within music. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Music In My Life. Um, Do join me next time and I'll have some more exciting guests where we get to talk about their stories, their favourite music in their lives and, and all sorts of other lovely things. So stay safe in the meantime, stay sane and I'll see you very soon. Bye. I really hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and I'd love to hear about your favourite piece of music. So make sure you pop a comment on Apple Reviews with your song choice and the story behind it. I'm going to be reading out some of your stories in an upcoming minisode. Also, we've now put our guest song choices in the show notes. So if you want to hear any of their songs again, you can find them there. Thanks so much, guys, and see you next time. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.